0: scripture reading will be from the book of first john chapter two verses one through five. First john two verses one through five i'll be reading from the new king james version my little children these things i write to you so that you may not sin and if anyone sins we have an ad- advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the whole world Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. Sometimes we begin to look around the world and we pay a little too much attention to the bad things that are going on and we get discouraged. We look around and we think that things are so terrible that they're just not going to get any better. And that's easy to do. Sometimes we can get so discouraged that we allow that to seep into our spiritual lives and... We may even begin to believe that our spiritual lives are terrible, and we allow that to begin to affect the way we look at God, and that we look at uh, our interaction with each other, and and then things really begin to get bad, and things begin to look terrible. This morning, I want us to be reminded about having confidence in salvation. The word confident means being full of conviction having or showing assurance. Confidence is a very necessary trait in life if we're going to be successful in life. And it is something that a person can learn to have. We can learn to be confident in the avenues of life down which we go. When we're confident about what we're doing, it allows us to have a sense of well-being. We can be confident In what we're doing, we can feel good about what we're doing and we can have that sense of well-being. That sense that we feel like things are going well. It gives us the understanding that we can accomplish those things that we have set out to accomplish. And that feels good. We can look around and we things don't seem so bad to us anymore if we feel like we can be successful and that we can accomplish the goals that we have set forth to accomplish. Well, I think the same thing can apply to our spiritual lives. Because really, the Christian does not separate life. We just simply have life. We base our lives on Christ. Everything we do, we do it in view of what God would have us to do. We live our everyday lives in view of what Christ wants us to do. We live our business lives in view of how Christ would want us to live. We're honest. We do those things the way Christ would have us to live. I think it is sad when faithful Christians cannot with confidence say, I have a crown of life waiting on me in eternity. There are some Christians who cannot say that with confidence. They feel as if they can't say it. They're not allowed to say that with confidence. Listen, faithful Christians ought to be able to stand up and say, I know there is a crown of life awaiting me on the other side. That's what God wants us to be able to do. It isn't arrogance or a sense of being spiritually superior to other folks. It is simply having confidence in knowing what God expects and understanding one can live up to those expectations. We can do it. Because God has given us the ways in which we can accomplish that. It was Paul who said this, 2 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 6, For I am now ready to be offered, in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearance. Every person can make that same statement. You know why we can make that same statement? Because of that last phrase. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Those that look forward to His second coming. Why was Paul so confident in his salvation? He was confident for the same reasons John said we could be confident. And hereby we do know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. It's no top secret thing, is it? He gave us the secret. He unveiled the mystery. That's what Paul said. Make known unto you the mystery. It's no longer a mystery. When the New Testament came into effect, the mystery was gone. He gave us the answers. He continued, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous, 1 John 5, 3. We can have confidence because we have been given His commandments. And we're able to fulfill them if we choose to be obedient. That's where in the secret lies. In our passage this morning, John laid out the reasons the faithful Christian can be confident in salvation. The title of the sermon this morning is, Having Confidence... In salvation. We ought to have confidence in salvation. We ought to feel good about salvation. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world. That's why Paul told the Philippians they could have this peace that passes the understanding of the world. Why can you feel good? Why can you have peace? Because we have confidence in salvation no matter what's going on in the world. We can be confident in our salvation, first of all, and this is our first point, because we have an advocate. We have an advocate. Now, there is a purpose for having an advocate with the Father. The term advocate is a judicial term. It's a judicial term, and it means one who pleads the cause of another. Specifically, one who pleads the cause of another before a tribunal or a judicial court. See, the folks to whom uh, John was writing would have understood that term. In essence, an advocate is an attorney or a lawyer who represents a client in court. That's what an advocate does. Goes before the judge. Pleads the cause, right? Christ is the Christian's advocate. Why is Christ our advocate while no one else can be? We only have one advocate that stands in the position to plead our cause before God. Well, first of all, John described Christ as our advocate because He is righteous. He is righteous. If we were to have an advocate who was in need of intercession himself, he could not hope to influence the judge on behalf of others. He would have to have someone to advocate for him. That was the whole purpose of Having the new high priest, right? The the high priest of the Old Testament had to go in and offer a sacrifice for himself first. Then he had to offer a sacrifice for the people. Christ can accomplish for us what no other person can accomplish. As Christians, we have a whole lot of intercessors, right? We intercess for each other. We go to God in prayer on behalf of each other all the time. We pray for each other's health. We pray for uh, each other's uh, uh, well-being. We want good things for each other. We pray for each other's finances, right? If we're having problems, we pray for that. We pray for any number of things for each other. We intercess. But we have other intercessors, right? What about the Holy Spirit? He's our greatest intercessor, isn't He? He goes on, on our behalf before God when we can't even... Put into proper words what we need to say to God. We know something's wrong and we can't even explain it properly to God. So He goes before the Father on our behalf and He makes intercession for us. We have many, many great intercessors. But why is Christ such a great intercessor? Why is He our only advocate? Because He knows all about The human condition. He knows all about the human experience. Not that God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, not that they do not know all things, but Jesus lived it as a person. He lived it as a human. He came to to earth and lived as a man and, and went through all the things that we as people go through, right? We're not going to be able to stand before God and say, Listen... You just don't understand. You weren't here. You don't know what it's like. Oh, He knows what it's like. He lived it. He endured it. Christ's whole purpose was to be our advocate and our mediator. That's why He came. So He could live that way. So He could endure what we endure. But do it perfectly and sinlessly. You see, when we study John's letter we learn what our purpose in life is. Our purpose is to sin not. That's our goal. That's what we attain to do. So That's a lofty goal. Now, that's not a goal that, that we have been able to accomplish, but that's a goal for which we aim. And that's what John talks about in his first letter. This part of the letter answers the questions that might arise from the first chapter, right? How how we walk in the light and how do we meet the conditions of forgiveness because we do fall short of that, right? Chapter 1 talks about walking in that light and, and staying in contact with the blood of Jesus because we do sin from time to time. See, our goal and our purpose is not to sin, but we fall short of that. And so we want to be able to maintain walking in the light, 1 John 1, through 6-9, And staying in contact with the blood of Jesus and being cleansed continually. But if you can walk in the light, you can step outside the light. So chapter 2 answers those questions. We don't live a life of sin if we're walking in the light. But see, we have to maintain that walk in the light. And that tells us how we do that. How do we meet the conditions of forgiveness? Because there are conditions. However, if we do sin, and John is talking again about the Occasional sin committed by the faithful. See, the faithful do not live in sin, they commit sin on occasion. Then we have an advocate with the Father, one who represents us before the great judge. We can have confidence in salvation because our advocate has a purpose, but he also has a plan. Our advocate has a plan. That ought to be very comforting to us. God sent Jesus, God the Father, sent Jesus to be our Savior, but we must abide by His plan. Let's talk about that for a moment. Here's the good news. Humanity has never been expected to be able to come up with a plan on his own to save himself. We've never been able to save ourselves. We don't know how to go about doing that, so God gave us a plan, right? Right? He gave us a plan to be able to atone for sin. God made sure we were given all the necessary information that we needed to be able to gain eternal life. Paul explained that the gospel is the source of faith. He said, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. So that's the first good news, right? We don't have to hunt around, we don't have to dig down into the ground to try to hunt up something that uh, tells us how to gain faith. God told us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Not what some person says. That's even better news, right? We don't have to worry about depending upon someone. We depend upon God. There's no other source from which we can gain our knowledge. doesn't make any difference what a person thinks. doesn't make any difference what Rick Owen says. It only matters what God says. If a person can clearly show in the Scripture that God has demanded this or that, let's listen to it. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. But if a person isn't following Christ, let's avoid that individual, right? The second part of Christ's plan is once faith is cultivated in the heart, godly sorrow begins to form. Godly sorrow says, I'm sorry I've hurt God. I'm sorry simply because I've done wrong. Now, there's a difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow, right? I've told you about that example of our friend in Memphis. The little boy got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. That's my favorite example. His hand's in the cookie jar. Mama walked in, and instead of running off, he stuffed as many cookies in his mouth as he could get. He was sorry he got caught. That's worldly sorrow, right? Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry I did it because it was wrong. Well, godly sorrow in and of itself isn't enough. Godly sorrow, Paul said, worketh or will lead one to repentance, 2 Corinthians seven ten. Repentance says, I'm going to stop doing it. Repentance is actually a military term, a Roman military term. Very similar to our about face. You're going one direction, you turn around you go the other direction. Repentance. I turn around, I go back toward God. I'm going to stop living in sin, I'm going to turn around and go to God. Repentance. I believe, now I'm going to repent. Because I have godly sorrow. Making the good confession that Jesus is the Son of God. This is one of the greatest statements that we find in the Bible. Second, uh, Romans 10.10. 10. With the the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. That word unto is a beautiful word. You know what unto means? Not into, but unto. You're right up to the precipice of something. With the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Well, what are we confessing? We're confessing that same thing the Ethiopian eunuch confessed in, in Acts 8, verse 37. After uh, Philip taught him Jesus, they came to a certain water. He said, See, here's water. What what hindereth me from being baptized? He said, If thou believeth, what was the following statement? I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That's a good confession, isn't it? The good confession that Jesus Christ lived, He died, He rose again, and He sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over His kingdom today. That leads us unto salvation. There must be something else. There must be something else. Because we're unto it now at this point, right? What's the next step? Christ said, Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Immersion in water for the forgiveness of sin is God's requirement, not the world's. That's God's requirement. A lot of folks want to relegate baptism to an outward show of an inward faith. Baptism is a work. It is a work. Baptism is a work, but it's a work of God. It's a work of God, and it's a work just like faith is a work. On one occasion, Jesus was asked, How do you work the works of God? This was his response. John six twenty nine. This is the work of God that you believe on Him whom He hath sent. Faith is a work. Repentance is a work. Bring forth works worthy or meet for repentance. Baptism is a work. Confession is a work. They're works of God. How do you tell the difference? From where do they originate? Do they originate in heaven or do they originate in the world? Well, these are God's works and He expects people to do them. And then, of course, faithful living is the final step in God's plan of salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. We can have confidence in salvation because we have an advocate with the Father. One who has a purpose. One who has a plan. But we also have confidence because we have atonement for sin. That's our second point. We have atonement for sin. That is so wonderful. So different from the Old Testament, right? Atonement requires a ransom. We have to have a ransom. We have a ransom in Christ because He is our propitiation or a very special type, right, for sin. A propitiation is a suitable sacrifice. It took a very special sacrifice. Christ wasn't the only sacrifice. There were thousands upon thousands, untold numbers of sacrifices from from. The time that God required sacrifice from Adam all the way up until the time that Christ gave Himself on the cross. Untold numbers of sacrifices. Untold animals died on on the, the altar. But it was the writer of Hebrews who explained. Hebrews 10 verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sin. You see, the world needed a suitable sacrifice. One that could take sin away permanently, not just roll it ahead to be dealt with at a later time. And that's what happened during the patriarchal period of time. That's what happened under the law of Moses. It was just put off until the next time. Put off until the next time, right? You just kept offering sacrifices, and kept offering sacrifices, but it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. We need sin taken away. We need to get rid of it. We needed that propitiation, a suitable sacrifice, right? Christ is our ransom. He paid a debt that we could not pay and live spiritually. But He could pay it. He rendered the Father favorably toward us. He reconciled the obedient to God, enabling the faithful to be at peace with the Father. Paul said this, Romans 5, 11. But we also joy in God through our Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom we now received the atonement. We receive the atonement through Christ. We have to receive it through Christ. Why is that? Because all spiritual blessings are in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. All spiritual blessings are in Christ. Through our atonement, we've been ransomed back to God. But there are requirements That come with that ransom. We have to understand those. Paul declared this. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a free gift from God. We can never misunderstand that. God doesn't have to give it to us. But He chose through grace and mercy. To give us a free gift of eternal life. But that doesn't mean it did not come with... Out a requirement or requirements, right? The entire section of John's letter from 1 John 1, 5 all the way through the second chapter is a closely knit and well-ordered argument to design uh, designed to reveal the blessings available to us through Christ. That whole section is that way. If we're faithful to God and we do not live in darkness, Because God is light, that is where walking in the light comes in. If we affirm that we have fellowship with God, yet we walk in darkness, John says we lie and we do not know the truth, right? But if we walk in the light, we enjoy fellowship with each other and with God. That is the case because the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us at all times. Because we're walking in the light. That means when we sin, we recognize it. We ask God to forgive us. That blood takes it away. The truth is in us if we acknowledge our sins. We repent of those sins. Because we're not trying to walk in the light. On occasion we slip up. We make mistakes. But it is our concerted effort to do the will of God constantly. And to do the best we can do. John taught his readers, not only is Christ the propitiation or the ransom for those who obey Him, but also for any who would obey Him. You see, we can have confidence in our salvation because we have an advocate with the Father who has a purpose and who has a plan. We have an atonement for sin, which is a ransom that has requirements that we have to follow. And we can have confidence in salvation if we give our allegiance to God. That's our third and our final point. When we give allegiance to God, what we're doing is we're being faithful to Him. We're being faithful to God. That means something, doesn't it? That means something. And we can be assured that we're faithful. We can know whether or not we're being faithful. We can understand whether or not we're being faithful because God has given us a gauge by which we can measure ourselves, right? John said we can know we're faithful by keeping His commandments. Now, the word keep in the Greek is a present subjunct, subjunctive verb. Now, that doesn't mean that much to us. But what it does mean is it is a continuous action. That's the important part. It is a continuous action. We could say this, if we keep on keeping His commandments. That's the thing, right? Right? It's not a one-time thing. We obey God one time and then we forget it. We keep on keeping God's commandments. God says, don't lie. Okay. Well, I'm not just not going to lie once. I'm going to keep on not lying, right? I'm going to be faithful to God. Not just one time. I'm going to continue to be faithful to God. That's the whole premise upon which we have confidence in our salvation. God has given us His commandments. And I know if I'm following them because I can measure myself up against them. That allows us to know if we're going to have a home with God in eternity. That's why Paul could say, I have kept the faith. I fought a good fight. He could know it because he could measure himself, right? How do you know you kept the faith? God told me what the faith was. The system of faith produces my personal faith. And I know what that system of faith is. And I can follow it, right? We don't have to go about our lives wondering if we're going to be with the faithful in heaven. I can know if I can be with the faithful in heaven. See, that's the the whole thing that tells me if if I need to repent of a sin or not, right? I can know right from wrong. God understands that. He's given us those those, uh, uh, tools by which I can gauge myself. We can know we're going to be with them And we can look forward to being with those who have gone on before us. If we are going to show our allegiance to God by being faithful, we can never forget Him. We have to keep Him in the forefront of our minds. Keepeth His word in verse 5 is the same as keep His commandments in verse 3. The words in Him also indicate to us an intimate relationship that we have and that we enjoy in God. See, we have a very close-knit relationship, faithful Christians do, with God, right? If we're going to know God, we must keep His commandments and never forget what He's done for us. God has done something for us that the world ought to be rejoicing for continually. He sent Jesus to die in our place. For the wages of sin is death. Now think about that. The earned result of sin is death. Someone had to pay that. Jesus volunteered for that. That was a part of the Godhead's decision, right? We need to always remember the fruit produced in the life of the Christian is the result of the love that we have for God because of what He did for us. Christ said this, John 15 beginning with verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye accept ye abide in me. I am the vine, and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. It is useless for one to claim a love for God if he refuses to comply with His commandments. I think that's the acid test, isn't it? For whether or not we love God. Are we doing His commandments? Are we abiding in Him? Are we being faithful? After all, if you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. Let's go back to Ephesians 1, verse 3. All spiritual blessings are in Christ Jesus. I think the thing we ought to ask is how do I get into Him? If all spiritual blessings are in Christ, I need to know how do I get into Him. Again, fortunately, we've been given the answers. God doesn't expect us to come up with a plan on our own. There are only two places that specifically tells us in the Bible, how do I get into Christ, that literally states. Now, there are a multitude that allude to it, but there are only two that specifically state it. Galatians 3:26 and 27, written to the, the churches in Galatia, the New Testament church in Galatia, the ones that were scattered throughout Galatia. He said that we let's turn over there, I don't want to misquote it. Galatians 3:26 and 27. Paul said, "For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Again, written to the churches of Galatia. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. How do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. Not, not just baptized into Him. You had to have faith. You had to repent. You had to confess. He had to be baptized. And then they had to live faithfully. The other place is found in Romans chapter 6. beginning with verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. I think it is uncomfortable to go through life lacking confidence. It's uncomfortable in our social lives. It's uncomfortable in our business lives. It makes us feel awkward to be without confidence around other people. And that's not what we like. But we can gain confidence. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. It's not comfortable to lack confidence. We need to be confident confident in our salvation. Let's never feel like we don't know whether or not we're saved. We need to know that. Whether good or bad, right? We need to know: am I lost or am I saved? And we can know that. It's not enjoyable. The good news is, we don't have to be in that situation. If we follow His commandments, we can know He's been give, He's given us the answers. If you find yourself in a situation today, if you've looked inside, you say, "You know, I'm not where I need to be." If I've never obeyed the initial plan of the gospel. Maybe I have. Maybe I've fallen away. Maybe I've I've found myself to be like Simon the sorcerer. I obeyed the gospel, but I've, I've fallen away. I'm like those in Galatia where Paul told them, if you're justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. Galatians 5 verse 4, you need to come back. Well, how do I do that? I do that through repentance. Confession of sin, James chapter 5, in prayer. I don't have to go back through that whole plan of salvation again, not for the Christian, but if I step outside the light, I have to step back in it. If you see that you're in need of answering this, this invitation, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.